Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello and welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast. I am your host, Brian Carroll, and today's episode is brought to you by Hana, which is an herbal blend that is a Rasayana Ayurvedic blend that helps to rebalance your body in our modern world. In particular, it helps to reduce the stress of radiation, carbon dioxide, and stress itself, and to help repair the system and provide more optimal energy to your body. It's a product that I absolutely love, and I brought on the founder of HANA a couple episodes back on episode 26, so if you want to learn more about the product, you can go to that episode and listen in on how the product was formulated, or you can go to summitforwellness.com slash H-A-N-A-H to learn more. Now, we are jumping into a long series of episodes here that covers a wide range of health topics, such as soft tissue health, to how the brain interacts with the rest of the body, to yogis talking about their spiritual journey, to healthy skin care, and Lyme disease, and a variety of other topics. So listen in as we start going into these topics, and today we will be starting with soft tissue health. We brought on Lauren O'Neill, who is a structural integrator that is located down in California, and he talks a lot about how structural integration is different than just getting a regular old massage, and how to apply these different techniques and principles in order to change people's soft tissue in a way that benefits their own needs. So listen in as we talk with Lauren O'Neill. Lauren O'Neill is a structural integrator who has mentored under the likes of Aaron Mattis, Dr. Gary Gray, and Dr. Dave Tiberio, along with receiving many different licenses and certifications over the years. He is the co-owner of Chain Reaction Therapy in San Diego, California. Thanks, Lauren, for coming onto the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Lauren, before we start diving into uh, what structural integration is and soft tissue therapy, can you give us a little bit about your background and what brought you to where you are today? Yeah, sure. I uh, lived in New York City, and I used to be a professional dancer in New York City, semi-professional, so we used to travel around, perform in front of thousands of people. I stopped that when I was 18 years old and then went to school for massage therapy. And uh, while I was in school, I decided to learn everything I can about the body and realize that there was much more the, than just doing massages. So I went out and became a yoga teacher, became a personal trainer, thinking I can kind of resemble physical therapy by stretching people and strengthening people and uh, doing soft tissue work if they needed it. And then from there, it just led me on this path of trying to learn from everybody and understand why everybody does the way they, uh, the things that they do. And uh, now I'm trying to put all that together to make my practice into something that I wanted to do for years, which is being able to do anything I need to, to make someone move better or feel better or get their goals better. 
And you were mentioning that you have over 50 licenses and certifications. So to have all that education behind you, you can definitely create your own type of style within this type of field. Yeah, but the goal is to to understand everybody's point, you know, because every person that comes through your door is going to have something a little different than somebody else. And so one approach isn't always going to work. Uh, so I always made it a point to understand how to do different approaches, which is why I've learned so many techniques, so many courses, just to find a, a specific way to help one person feel better. Right, exactly. And um, no one fits into a one-size-fits-all type of category, too. So having that experience and that knowledge to be able to change your approach and your protocol for the person in front of you is extremely helpful. Yeah, exactly. Out of a million bodies, there's a million ways to move. So there's no specific thing that'll always be perfect. But everything has something good to offer. Exactly. So can you talk about what is soft tissue and what are the soft tissue treatments all about? Uh, for me, soft tissue is the human body. We have bones, we have muscles, nerves, um, we have arteries and veins, and everything works together. So when we say we're doing soft tissue work, it's to make someone feel better in a specific area with whatever tissue is required to get a little bit more motion or movement. Um, so when we're talking about soft tissue, we're just looking at how can we affect that person's area and make it uh, work with the whole body so that they don't feel any discomfort or that they get stronger. Um, so whenever you hear someone say soft tissue, just know that they're looking at everything as a whole and not just one specific piece. So when you're receiving a soft tissue work, what is really happening within the muscles and the bones and the ligaments within the body? Uh, when we work on somebody, a lot of people think that we're taking tissues and we're making it longer or we're training it to be a specific way. But what I look at is it's proprioception. We're adding... Uh, sensory to this person's brain that that tissue can do something that it hasn't been able to do before or do something a little bit easier more efficiently so uh, you do structural integration how is that different than like massage therapy or is it the same uh, it is different and so massage therapy uh, doesn't have a program most of the time depending on who you see I guess but when you learn massage therapy it's you're going to work head to toe, you know, try to hit the whole body within a, a specific amount of time. Um, the structural integration school that I went to is uh, the new school of structural integration. It's up in Laguna Beach, and they have a, a great way of their, their methodology towards structural integration, which is a program. You have, just like any type of strength conditioning program, you have a specific amount of sessions. And in these sessions, we are trying to achieve uh, within each session, a specific goal. And at the end of those 10 sessions, those specific goals should combine together to make that person um, to be much better from when we started. So would you say that structural integration is more therapeutic, whereas massage therapy can be um, in a couple different realms? It could be more spa-like, where it helps relax people and it just feels really good, or you could have a little bit of therapeutic approach with massage therapy as well. Yeah, massage therapy is a great technique, and I'm a massage therapist for 11 years, and I think that when I started, I mean, their, their goal of trying to help people was a little bland. Um, it does amazing work to make you feel better, but it's also a very passive modality. 
And so when we're looking at educating the person, educating the brain, anything passive is only a temporary relief. And again, in, in these moments of pain or discomfort, any type of relief is good. And so massage therapy is completely appropriate for those things. But if you're looking to change something for the long term, or you're looking for something to never come back and bother you again, that's where you need to look at stuff like structural integration, active release, where people are building a plan and teaching these active movements throughout that plan. So uh, as you palpate the body, are you learning more and understanding more about the body and the tissues that's underneath your hands? Or what's the palpation like for uh, structural integration? Um, as you're palpating the body, we're looking for deformities or things that are different than others. And so when we're touching the body, we are trying to see, is the body pliable? Is it nice and soft? Or are these dense edges preventing you from sinking in? And our palpation is telling us what area might need more work, what area might not need as much work. You know, if the body has great ranges of motion, do you need to keep asking for ranges of motion? Probably not, you know, asking it for stability maybe at that point. But when we're touching something and I feel a tissue that's very dense and that person's like, oh, that's really sensitive and it hurts, that's a signal for me like, okay, this area needs some sort of work to get that sensitivity to decrease. So palpation is just a guide of where to go on the body. So when someone comes in to your clinic and starts talking about their pain points, as you get in there with your hands, you're kind of able to feel uh, whether certain tissue is more tense than others and kind of follow the way the body is feeling to figure out what all is being affected by this pain to be able to uh, then come up with a plan, right? Yeah. Um, when my program comes in, when people come in to see me and they're saying, hey, something hurts, uh, I don't immediately touch them. I like to ask them to do certain movements. Uh, it could be 3D maps. It could be M FMS. Uh, all of them have their benefits. But we're learning those assessments to have that person initiate or, or find out where their beginning is. And then when I'm doing the work uh, and touching those tissues that are tender, it's trying to create more biofluidity, more movement in the tissues. Uh, and that way, when that person's done at the end of the session, they can see a change immediately from when they began. You know, and a change can be anything from gaining a centimeter of range of motion, which is an increase in my mind, you know, even though it's just a centimeter to some people, a centimeter to someone with a frozen shoulder is like a mile. And so you always want to have them see where they begin and always have them see where they can be at the end of the session. So in there, you mentioned biofluidity. Can you talk about what that is and its role in soft tissue work? Uh, yeah. So our body is a sac. Uh, inside our body is... All these bones, muscles, veins, nerves, everything is colliding next to each other. But we're majority fluid-based organism. So with our fluid base, we have these pathways in our body. And it's much like looking at the ocean. You know, you have these underground rivers in the ocean, which is similar to our body. We have different paths for specific fluids. We have spinal fluid. We have lymphatic fluid. We have uh, blood pumping up and down. And so some fluids move slowly, some fluids move quickly. And if we can mediate those fluids and have them go at their proper timing or assist them to get better toward their proper timing, then that person tends to feel a little bit better because their tissues are, are functioning better. Um, with the more fluid that goes in and out of your tissues, it's cleaning the tissue out when it comes out and it's allowing fresh nutrients and blood to come in, which makes that tissue function better. So with biofluidity, again, the more 
uh, the easier that that fluid can go through the tissues, the healthier that person can be. So I'm curious, does people's hydration levels within their um, body and how much they drink water and whatnot, does that change the biofluidity within their tissues? Uh, again, it can. Um, and at the same time, you can drink way too much water for your body and do more harm from having too much water. And so understanding that proper ratio is important. But yeah, sometimes more water would be good. Sometimes you need to have more iron in your system to push things through. Again, our cells open and close. We have sodium that goes in, potassium that flies out. So anytime we're looking at that tissue, we just got to figure out by either the right tests or the right assessments uh, what that person needs best. Yes, which the body is a complicated beast. So <laughs> yes, trying to sir. figure out every single piece takes a little bit of time. Yeah, but no piece is good by itself. And so exactly. understanding that. That's why we need a whole crew to work together, specialists in every field. Nobody will ever be the perfect clinician. You know? That's so true. Can you talk about pain? Since so many people that come to see you probably have pain in some form. What is pain? And what are they really feeling? Um so when people come to see me and they're in pain, they're in discomfort. Um, pain can come from anything and as far as stubbing a toe to breaking a bone. And every person is different with how they perceive pain. Uh, so when I hear people say pain, it's just a, a fight or flight system in their body. So there is an area that's sending these signals up into the brain. And the brain has to decipher whether those signals are good or bad. And sometimes people feel pain by doing a stretch. And they're just trying to take this tissue way too far. And their body is saying, hey, don't go there. You know, there's something wrong. And sometimes there's pain where you stub a toe or break an ankle. And so your body kind of shuts down and says, don't move anything because I'm trying to repair itself. So when people say they have pain, you have to understand that their perception of pain is completely different than others, right? So some people can get uh, very light work, and that could be just too much pressure. So their system is just sending all these signals at once. And some people love deep tissue where you can just drive their hands, uh, your hands so deep into their leg that you can't even see a finger anymore. Um, but when we're working with people with pain, we have to understand that we don't need to push people to a painful level. We just need to know that they have a, a capacity of a certain amount of pressure or a certain amount of movement. So when you're trying to find people's pain thresholds, do you tend to like barely touch that pain point and then back off and that's the threshold that you want to work with? Or where's that line that you want to work with in order to uh, get the best soft tissue work for these people? And nothing should ever be painful when it comes down to soft tissue work. Um, you don't want someone to fight against what you're doing. You want them. You want to coerce their body into feeling comfortable and moving those ranges. So when I'm working on people, I'm trying to have a communication with them where they tell me when is too much or when it's not enough. And I'll usually tell people, you know, zero out of ten, ten just being the most excruciating pain you've ever felt. I'd like to stay around a five. It's somewhere a little comfortable. If you go to a six, they're okay. Once you get to a seven, eight, nine, all right, that's where people start to feel uncomfortable and uneasy. And then they start to hold back these movements that you're trying to gain. Uh, you never want to push anything, uh, any person past their, their limits. The whole goal is to get them to move better and feel better and then out the door so they can live their life and do more at home. 
So when people are feeling that discomfort point, then typically there's a lot more tension, which would then make it more difficult to increase uh, range of motion or work with a tissue that you're trying to work with, right? Exactly. You have that fight or flight. And if you're getting into that painful zone, that person's going to try to fight or try to run. And you'll see that with people squirming or, you know, their tissues tense up and they start to squeeze everything. So it becomes bunchy or dense under your hand. That to me is just pushing that person too far past their point. The idea is to stay below that so they're always going to feel good. Now, one of the things we see a lot with people who go and get a massage is they feel really good for the first couple hours afterwards, but then it seems like whatever issues they went in to get resolved via massage starts to slowly creep back in, and by the next day, it's fully back to what it was before. Why does this happen, and is there a way to keep that new motion or that new uh, range of motion that you have created in order to continue to feel better more than just a couple hours or a day. Yeah, so like we were saying before, there's this passive modalities and these active modalities. So as you're getting a massage, your body is very passive and the person is doing all the work for you. So they are moving some fluids around um, and they are making some tissues feel more relaxed than usual. But as soon as you stand up and you start to neurologically work your whole body as a whole together while walking or bending over to put your shoes on and get dressed after your massage, everything starts to regress to how you were before because your body thinks it's perfect. You know, Every day you wake up and you get out of your bed, your body immediately thinks this is how you should live. And when you come and see people like me or other therapists, we have this perception that you should be somewhere different. Uh, and then we try to change that. But the only way to change something and to make it last is to educate that person on how to take care of themselves. I don't do anything that makes someone uh, get better right away. I just give people permission to move better and feel better and then teach them how to take care of themselves at home. Otherwise, they have to keep coming back and doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, so when you're trying to change something, you have to do repetitions of something. You know, Anything you want to do in life to get better at, you have to repeat it. And it's the same with therapy, rehab. If you want that person to get better, they have to go home. They have to learn easy things that they can continuously do throughout the day. So are you sending people home with homework that they can then utilize until the next time they come in and see you? Yeah, even if they come in for a massage, I will still teach them something that they can go home and practice in order to keep something feeling better. Um, and that's just the way I've been taught, and I always think that it's good to have that person have a reinforcement of what's going on. Now, for those massage clients that are strictly there for a massage, how often do you see them actually doing these exercises or uh, protocol at home? <laughs> uh, like everybody, you know, you have some people that are just diligent about it, and then you have some people who, um, you know, space out and think that it's not as useful, and that's fine. Um, Again, it's, it's a massage business, so if I do massages, they're just coming to relax. They know that they don't have anything specific to work on, and I always give people that option. But most of my work now is just that rehab and structural integration, so they know when they're coming here that they have to do some work while they're here and when they're at home in order to facilitate that change. So if you're providing soft tissue work in the form of uh, mobility, then are you giving people strength exercises or what's kind of your process with that? Yeah, I'm always giving them a strength exercise and a mobility exercise, 
teaching them the difference between making something go long or making something go to its end range and the difference between stabilizing that joint or end range. And so I never want to try to change something and just be like, okay, there you go, you're done. Uh, and then have them go away confused, like, oh, that feels good, but now what do I do? You know, that's the, the big thing that I see, just people are getting great work, but they don't know how to take care of themselves afterwards. So strengthening, and strengthening can be anything from learning just to bend over and pick up a pen off the floor or a deadlift with a bar. Um, but you should always teach them, again, something to control their body with and something to learn how to relax and be easy and moving uh, free. So you mentioned bending over and picking something off the floor, which we see a lot in people who do something as simple as that, but injure their tissue in some way. Can you talk about how those type of injuries happen? Oh, yeah. So there is this, uh, this theory out there that everybody should keep their spine stiff. And that's a good approach for certain people. And it depends on the person and the time. Uh, but when someone picks something up like a pen and they injure themselves as they're coming up, it's not the pen's fault and it's not the way that they bent over that day. It's just throughout their, the years of them being alive or throughout the last few years, they've been doing something inappropriately that has challenged their body and then one day their body just wasn't able to keep up. And so sometimes learning how to pick things up is, well, it's always important to learn how to pick things up. Uh, and there's an easy way of doing it, and there's a hard way of doing it. Um, but when you're grabbing something light off the floor, do you need to keep your spine still? Do you need to keep everything locked in place? I don't really think so. Um, when it comes down to getting something like a post-it paper from the floor, you don't need to control your whole nervous system and have that be prepared to pick up a post-it. You can uh, smoothly roll your spine up and down. That's a great thing. But if you can't do it, then you'll just bend and hinge at the knees. But if you're grabbing something like a 300-pound deadlift with a bar, then that's a time where you need to learn how to contract your whole system to work together to bring something off the floor. And so when people get injured, sometimes it's just that they're contracting at the wrong times and then they're relaxing at the wrong times. Right, and you make a really good point about if you are lifting heavy, then you're going to need to recruit uh, certain regions of your body to be able to support yourself in that. But without all that excess weight, we are designed to be fluid in our movements. And a lot of people have lost that over the years. And you being a dancer, you know how fluid people can be with their bodies and be able to move every single segment within their system and how vital that can be. Yeah, I work with a city ballet and most of them come to me and they're always having problems with their legs, their hips, their backs. But a lot of our time is, again, reteaching them how to stabilize. They have this great mobility and they can do all these wonderful movements, but sometimes they need to learn how to hold themselves a little bit better and then they can let something else relax and be free. Right, and that's where you need that fantastic balance of mobility and stability, that exactly. most stability type of scenario within the body. Yeah, our body requires that work and rest ratio. You can't always work and you can't always rest. And so we need to learn how to divide those two and be equal with them. So how often should someone receive uh, direct soft tissue work, like someone else's hands directly on them? Uh, that depends on what they're going for and what that practitioner's uh, plan is. And so uh, when it's coming down to a massage, I tell people, you go to get a massage when you want to feel good for that day. 
Um, and so you can, you don't have to go every month, you don't have to go every week, you just go when you want to. If you're trying to recover from an injury and that person has built you up a plan and said, hey, this day we're going to do this specific area and then this specific area, then I would suggest following that plan because every person can build a great plan. It just depends on what they see and how they promote their work. Um, so with soft tissue work, when you're trying to get it, you just look at it as, does someone have a great plan for me? Is that going to make me feel good at the end of that plan? Or do I just want to relax today? Now, if someone was at home and they were stretching, would that get the same effect as having hands-on? Or is that different? Uh, it would get the same effect uh, at home and stretching. And again, anything that someone does to you on a table, you should be able to replicate. Otherwise, how are you going to go home and learn how to change that tissue? And so anytime your therapist works on you, ask, you know, how do I make this stay? Or how do I make this last? And they should be able to teach you either a stretch or an exercise that would change that tissue for the better throughout the time. So again, repetition is what makes us uh, move better and feel better. And my ways of stretching, uh, I don't tell people to hold stretches. Uh, I like the idea of stretching through repetitions and sets. So instead of holding a stretch for a minute and you have... Uh, so instead of holding a stretch for a minute, I'd rather see you do 30 stretches in that minute. So you're holding that stretch for two seconds, but you're repeating it constantly. So you have a moment where your leg is working and a moment where your leg is relaxed, but then you just keep doing that. So your body then understands the range of motion that you're trying to achieve. And that's a great point to talk about as well. If, say, you're a uh, runner and you are about to go for a run, holding a stretch might be less beneficial for you than if you were doing a more dynamic approach like what you're talking about, right? So for yeah. people who are going into various activities, would it be a lot better to do those dynamic type of stretches instead of the long holds? Yeah, so dynamic stretches, some people think that you have to be standing and it's like ballistic and touching and bending your toes. Um, and that's a, a good way, and it's not a bad way to do it at all. So when you're doing dynamic stretches, if you have sensitivity, I usually tell people to get off loading, um, or so to work with gravity as opposed to against gravity. So if you're trying to stretch your calves, sit on the floor so that way your calves aren't holding you up. Um, and if you're a runner trying to increase speed, holding a stretch for too long could um, could stop some blood flow from going into the tissue. And the whole idea of stretching is to create this expansion of the tissue and this closure of the tissue where blood and nutrients and oxygen can feed that tissue so it's healthier. So holding that stretch for a minute and then saying to that tissue, like, oh, you don't need any more blood, you don't need any more oxygen, you know, just stay at this length and that tissue is trying so hard to open up. Um, whereas if you take that stretch and you repeat it for two seconds and you do 30 of them in a minute, you're saying to that tissue, hey, open up, let blood flow in. And then close, let blood seep out, you know, or it's the opposite. So open up, let blood flow out, and then close, let blood seep in. But that's also bringing fresh nutrients, fresh oxygen. It's repairing the tissue, it's feeding the tissue, and it's priming its nervous system to expand and close what, like it needs to as you're running. So if you ask people about stretches, pretty much everyone can give you very basic hamstring stretches, quad stretches, and calf stretches, stuff like that. If you want someone to prepare for an activity, would you give them those basic stretches or are you looking at uh, putting their bodies in positions similar to the activity that they may be getting ready for? If they're about to do an activity, I'd have them prepare themselves by doing that activity. 
You know, if uh, say you're running, I'm probably not going to have you do a plank to prepare you for running because your body is moving. Even though you know you want a stable system, is that going to transfer so much over to running? Uh, and so, anytime I'm working with someone before their event, I'm trying to incorporate movements that they need for their event, uh, and that way they're more prepared for that. And I'm talking about within you know an hour of their event. You know, if you have a couple of days before, then that's okay. You can play around with different movements. But as you get closer to that event, make sure that they're just primed and ready for the work that they have to do. Right, and this is how you start to develop individualized stretching protocols for what it is that you really enjoy doing or are about to do as well. Yeah, exactly. Like if you are a heavy squatter, do you really need to do so much work on your neck and shoulders? Not so much, you know, make sure the hips and back are free, that type of stuff. So if, let's say you do have a runner that comes in and you've given them stretches to prepare for running, are you also looking at trying to balance the opposite end of running to be able to uh, give them more range of motion in other planes of motion that running doesn't really touch into? Uh, it depends. Um, again, you don't want to increase an athlete's range of motion so much that they don't understand how to work their body. You know, so if you're going into a sport, you have to remember that that person is programmed to be a specific way and too much change could make them lose power or efficiency. And so you have to gradually increase it as opposed to trying to make big changes. You know, the goal is just to make people feel comfortable and move a little bit better at a time. And then they'll keep coming back uh, to see more of a change later on. So again, you have, you'll always have like a program where you can build out and work up to it, but you never want to try to change everything all the time right away. And sometimes if you try to balance someone's systems out too much, then they're a lot less effective for the sport or activity they like the most. Like if you took a professional football player and tried to teach them how to play soccer, it might not benefit their overall football abilities. Exactly then they have to start to take away from one to increase uh, efficiency for another. Exactly. Now, with a, a lot of people use foam rollers, and people promote foam rollers as a way to stretch the tissues out and create all this change in the tissues. Is that actually happening, or is there a different component happening when you use a foam roller? Yeah, I think foam rollers are great, um, but they're also not so much of an active motion. So they are passive, and they are this usually broad uh, object. So the tissues, you can't separate tissues. You don't create any differentiation. Uh, and so it's kind of like having a steamroller and rolling over the skin. It's good for those superficial tissues, and it's good to get some fluid moving around through there. So it is beneficial. But I usually don't have any of my clients spend more than like five or six minutes on the foam roller. You know, after their sessions, like if we're training, then uh, I'll let them go and have their fun if it feels good for them. But beforehand, usually five minutes is like all they would need. And then we would do more of the active or dynamic work to prepare themselves for that type of exercise that they're doing that day. Uh, so it's not a bad thing to do foam rolling. It's just unnecessary to spend more than 10 minutes because you're only getting just the superficial part of the tissue. Do you use anything like a tennis ball or a lacrosse ball um, to get to those deeper tissues at all? Or is that still working more superficial, 
superficial tissues. It's still working as superficial tissue. Um, there's no difference between a tennis ball or a foam roller. And then now they have the quarter foam rollers and then the ones with the little knobs on the, uh, around them. And so it just depends on what that person likes. Again, foam rolling shouldn't hurt. So if you feel more comfortable using a tennis ball because it's softer, use a tennis ball. Um, but they both do the same thing in my mind. Can you talk about how you would assess and approach someone that comes into your um, clinic and go through the process of how you assess and how you're looking at how their body moves and then how that gives you information to start creating a protocol for mobility, stability, and everything else that's involved? Uh, yes, yeah, so I think that the whole body is a big unit, that everything works together. Um, so the Gray Institute talks an amazing thing about real and relative motion, where one bone can be moving faster or slower or the same speed with another. Um, and I think that all our bones can sit differently. So you can't have one hip that's higher, one hip that's lower. There was just a study uh, produced where they said there was somewhere between 18 to 23 degrees of different anterior tilts on either side of the pelvis. And so as a structural integrator, when I have someone come into my office, uh, the first thing I ask them to do is to move. That's my important thing because I want them to realize what they can do themselves. And so I'll have them do something like either the FMS or 3D maps or just my version of an assessment where I might have them bend over or reach out for something or rotate on their hips just to see how their tissues are working by themselves. And then I also do palpation. I look for uh, how they're standing, you know, if they're just relaxed in a nice standing tall position. Is there one bone that's rotated more than another? Is there a higher hip or a higher shoulder than another? Is there a bone like their scapula? Is the scapula more anterior tilted or over the rib cage and pulled down this rounded shoulder position? Or is it more posterior tilted, this extended chest proud position? Uh, and it goes with the pelvis too. Is your sacrum in a straight line? Is your pelvis more anterior tilted on the right and posterior tilted on the left? You know, we have all these possibilities. And out of a million people, there's a million ways to live. You could have been three or four years old and fractured a hip, and that's going to make your growth spurt completely different throughout your lifetime. And so when we're assessing people, I take on the consideration that there are so many possibilities of how that person can live their life. And so I like to see where they're standing, how they're moving, uh, and then I'm checking all that. When we're doing our self-tissue work, I'm also asking them to move, sometimes to pull them more into their dysfunction, sometimes to move away to that dysfunction. Um, when we're assessing, again, you want to make sure that you're assessing just for that person. When you look at stuff like the FMS, <laughs> it's great because it gives you a, a starting base. But not everybody needs to do those movements, so it's not necessarily appropriate for everybody. Now, with all the different people that you have worked with, do you notice patterns of areas within the body that tend to be more taut or tight than others? Um, depending on different structures, certain people have similar uh, living ways. But again, with so many different people, each person holds themselves in a specific way that's different than another. So let's say there are two people that are anterior tilted. They have this nice, beautiful curve in their spine. Yeah, you could have a chance that their psoas might be a little bit tighter or their QLs are a little bit tighter. But again, with you know a million people, every person's going to be different. So I never think that anybody is going to be the same as somebody else. That's why I don't think any protocol works. Any 
person who's out there teaching courses and say, this is the protocol, follow steps 1 through 12 and your client will be safe forever, is, is farce. You know, you want them to understand that each individual person needs an individual plan. That's why going to practitioners that look at the body in this way is so valuable because they are looking at you as you instead of as a general population. Right, as a whole. As soon as we learn that that one person is just working individually, we can build a, pl a program, a plan just for that one person that makes them exceed their limitations and get better far quicker than anything else. If you had a moment where you had someone come up to you to ask you about soft tissue therapy, what would be the one point you would want to get across so that they understand it better and understand the importance? Uh, it's the beginning to helping you move better and feel better. Quick and simple. I like it. <laughs> you, know, you try not to confuse them. Just let people know that you're there to help. That's it. Everybody will give you a chance if you can do that. All right, Lauren, I appreciate you coming on to the show. Can you tell people where to find you? Yeah, I'm located in Pacific Beach, San Diego. My website's chainreactiontherapy.com. And you can find us on Facebook at Chain Reaction Therapy. And do you do any kind of videos of some of the work that you do too so people can learn a little bit more about it? Uh, currently not right now. No, I'm in a couple of different programs, and so I've been stuck in front of a computer and working all day. But one day, <laughs> I'll get it out there. You sound like me. I'm always in at least two programs at once. So yeah. it's... <laughs> the next one starts in March, so I'm just preparing for that one. Awesome, Lauren. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the show and spreading your message about soft tissue therapy and structural integration and how it's different than just going and getting a massage. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to my audience all about this. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. There you have it, folks. Now you know a lot more information about soft tissue health, so go out there and start working your own soft tissue and making it as mobile as possible since most of us have too stable of tissue without having that little extra mobility that we desperately need. Now, I have been really enjoying hearing people's stories about their own health journeys and what they're looking for in regards to health topics. So if you have anything that you would like to share, please join our Facebook group at summitforwellness.com slash tribe, and you can join our community and talk about uh, your health concerns in a very supportive community, and then we can help address you on a deeper level. Now, if you liked this episode, please help us out by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. Those do help to get our show out there and in front of more people so that we can continue doing our podcast for you. Keep climbing to the peak of your health, and we will see you next time.